baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Wiggins, America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins, America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Look, I know you're tired. The whole world is tired. And it's not just because of what's in the news. It's because of daylight saving. It's because of everything else going on in the world. Everybody's tired. But I know why you're here, too. It's because my milkshake brings them boys to the yard. Yeah, you can be honest about it. You know that you're here just because of my sex appeal. And that's okay. I'm I'm willing to admit that. I hope that you are. My name is Ryan Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's jump right into everything going on this week. Yeah, there's a lot, but let's get to some sound, shall we? The president has said, and you have tweeted, that allegations of wrongdoing based on files pulled from Hunter Biden's laptop are Russian disinformation. There is a new book by a Politico reporter that finds some of the files on there are genuine. Is the White House still going with Russian disinformation? I think it's broadly known and widely known, Peter, that there was a broad range of Russian disinformation back in 2020. That is Jen Psaki explaining to us that it's the Russians' fault that this laptop exists at all. So what she's saying is that the Russians created a fake laptop, somehow attributed it to Hunter Biden, dropped it off at a computer repair shop in Delaware, and then it went out to the media. Guess what? We found out this week. New York Times, among many others, it wasn't just the New York Times, but that's what's going on this week. New York Times has confirmed that's a real laptop. It's really Hunter Biden's. If you haven't ca- caught that story yet, you probably heard that in the last couple of days. So there are the first. Politico's confirmed it. Many, many others. Tucker has. But unless it's the mainstream news, it doesn't seem to matter, does it? Here's some more audio from Jen Psaki. Here's more recent audio. And if I may, um, you asked about Hunter Biden's laptop. You also, in October 2020, dismissed it as Russian disinformation. Do you stand by that assessment? Again, uh, I'd point you to the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden's representatives. Um, I'm a spokesperson for the United States. He doesn't work for the United States. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So the first time you were asked the question, it was Russian disinformation. More recently, though, now it's, oh, well, he doesn't work for the White House, so I can't answer that question. Here's a real quick clip from the movie Dodgeball. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What? Oh! Oh! 
I'll be honest with you, the clip doesn't matter. The fact that she's dodging the question is the point. <laughs> you, throw, you throw a wrench at her, she's dodging it because it's Hunter Biden, it's his laptop. Here's what's most important before we get to a break here because we're going to get the full cast in here real, real soon. The, the point is not just the media cover-up of this thing, which is disgusting. You have an entire media complex that is just willing to lie to you based on their preferences. They don't care about what's true anymore. They don't care that that's true. Now that's coming out that it's true, but it doesn't matter anymore because the guy was elected president. Here's what Republicans should do. The minute they take back Congress, go into a hardcore investigation of this in the House. If you don't, you're wasting your time, Republicans. You need to do an investigation of the president's son and his motives for everything that we're dealing with right now. The dude, the president, was most likely getting kickbacks from Ukraine, and now we're at war somewhat protecting Ukraine. You think there's any coincidence there? There are analysts I respect who say that those two things are not related, but they have to be investigated because Russia Russia and Ukraine are involved in so many dang things right now. And the fact that the sitting president of the United States was getting kickbacks from Ukraine has been not only underreported and underinvestigated, it's been actively covered up. Republicans, you know your job. That's what you have to do. Stick around. More Wiggins America next. The full cast is coming in. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Yeah, I'm dancing. <laughs> That's why the audio is going up and down and up and down. <laughs> yeah, because my hand's moving. What was I supposed to do? He was out of town and his two friends were so fine. That's a line from the song, you guys. Okay. You don't know the Macarena? You I don't know, know the, every no. line in Macarena? I'm sure I did at one point. Oh, I know gosh. the dance. Still? Mm-hmm. Do it. This is great Good radio. radio. Great radio. <laughs> Oop, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be pretty young when that came out. Yeah. We, we used to have a place called the Teen Center in Southern Illinois. Oh, yeah? It's Crehans now on the west end of Belleville. And was it for a certain age group? Yeah. I would. I went when I was 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And there was no booze, but it was a, a nightclub for kids. Yeah. So parents would drop you off and you'd get all hopped up on soda and you'd mm-hmm. dance to the Macarena. Did you ever have one of those? Because I did. Oh, no. You didn't have... I thought that was your we, generation, actually. No, we didn't actually, listen that, to music that, for no, 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 no. <laughs> I thought that was your generation. Right. No, no, no music. Had, uh, skating rinks. Yeah, yeah but we had... did that, too. We had one called TP right down the street from me, and it was just a well, building. I don't know why it was TP called TP. What did TP stand for? Nothing. I think it was supposed you to be sure a TP. PTs? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, because I know what that stands for. Okay. No, this was... It was like a nightclub for only junior high school kids. And I went one time. My mom, generation, your generation, probably a little bit older than you were old, Roy, but still, same generation. She was like, oh, when you get to be in junior high, you're going to love going to TP. It's great. I went to TP one time, and she had built it up for years. It was like every year, oh, you're one year closer to going to TP. (laughs) You know, I don't know if she had some amazing experience there or what, but- 
It was the same exact thing. For you, it was thing. similar to getting your driver's license. No, it was your the opposite. Your parents were like pushing it. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. So much freedom. Yeah, yeah. No, and I went and upstairs was like the dance area and downstairs was pool tables and mm-hmm. pro- but it was it had to have been the exact same as it was in the 70s when she they didn't update a thing. So first of all, you're like this place is old and smells like mothballs. And it was just full of thugs who are holding pool cues. I'm not going to go. I mean, you can imagine what do boys do when they're 16 year old thugs, not even 16, because you had to be, I think, about this age that you said that you were at your dance club. 12, 13. Right in there, because you had to be in seventh or eighth grade to go. And so when you're a seventh or eighth grade boy, you're not trying to make friends. These are basically pissing matches where everybody tries to claim that they're the toughest person in the world and they form like almost gangs, but they're pathetic. And then they just, they're just waiting to start a fight. And I went one time and I'm like, never doing that again. That was terrible. Could you imagine what that looks like from an adult perspective now? When you went in as a kid and you, these thugs and mm-hmm. how clickish it was and how terrible it was, as an adult, you'd look and be like, look at all those dorks. Oh, man. Yeah. A bunch of nerds I mean, my kids, standing around. My son is almost eight. And just in the soccer stuff we're watching, there's little clicks that form, you know, not mm-hmm. bad, but just little ones that you're like, kids. All kids are so lame. They're so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> it's so I tell pathetic. my children that every night. Especially, kids are so lame. Especially that age. Right before you're actually a teenager, boys in particular, and maybe girls are really bad about this too, but they think they're kind of adults and they act all hard and whatever's the, the big culture. Like in, in my time, it was thugs. Like you were... Wearing baggy pants. Where did and you, were you grow up? I mean, it was just a suburb. <laughs> That's what was so lame about it. It wasn't hard at all. It was just a bunch of suburban, mostly white kids, and they were acting all hard all the time. And I'm like, not participating in any of that. Definitely not going to teepee. Definitely not old enough to even ask girls to dance. What am I going to do at this place? You know. Anyway, that's not the most important thing of the week, but we got really off track, and I got really passionate. Yeah. I hated that era. I hated being a 12, 13-year-old. You were you were probably fine because you went to an all-boys Catholic school. Well, for high school. Oh, you went to regular junior high? No, we just we had K through 8 was the cat the parochial schools. Oh, so you went to school with girls too then? Yeah. Cuz I thought, always thought you were just with all boys all the time. No, just just high school. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I feel like we're all back at TP right now. I know. You went to school with girls? <laughs> yeah, no way. Exactly. The whole time? Okay, honest question. Honest question. Did you ever play Spin the Bottle? Never did. Of course you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we we I did go to school with girls, but we weren't really allowed to associate with girls. <laughs> of course. Growing up. We were six boys in my family, and... And, oh, just your family couldn't. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was not, girls were evil temptresses. Okay. And so we we sort of <laughs> kept to ourselves. And, you know, this sure. was growing up in a very religious Catholic family. So I think we were all a little bit emotionally stunted until we got to uh, leave the house and be on our own. And, and go to an all-boys school. And go to an all-boys school. <laughs> then it got really good. Yeah. <laughs> Then everything was fine. Yes.
Hmm? Not that I remember. Probably, but nothing that's seared in my memory that was oh, impactful. To I me. remember in fifth grade. That's way too young. Yeah. I went to a party at Bree's house. I don't remember her last name. The cheese? Bree. <laughs> cheese house. Yeah. yeah. It was in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> and she, she was, uh, she seemed a little older than the rest of us. And she was having her birthday party, and it was time to do something that was outside the box. And she was like, hey, everybody, look what I've got here. It's a bottle. And everybody was like, oh, no, don't you dare spin that thing. And we did. And uh, I can't remember if I kissed anybody or if it was just so, so exhilarating because you knew you were not supposed to be doing that. And then I don't know if we ever actually did it, but seven minutes in heaven. Where you go in the closet. Where you go in the closet. I I was at some party. And we're talking grade school. Here's what's weird. At these early grade school parties, we were doing things that you should not do. But we were so young that we didn't know what to do with those things. So by the time I got into junior high and up, I was already like, eh, I already did some of that stuff. It was real weird and awkward. But it was only weird and awkward because I didn't know, nobody knew what we were doing. But you had so much street cred. I've already played spin the bottle. I've already been in the well, yeah, seven minute all of, closet. Everybody in my same circle had done the same thing mm-hmm. and nobody cared. It was like nothing happened because nobody knew what was even the end goal. So <laughs> I think I went into a closet with a girl one time and just sat there and like talked about the coats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know. think that's what happens in the closet. I'm pretty sure that that's what happens in every single closet. Mm-hmm. Wow. I had a really lame childhood, apparently. Yeah, you, yes, you I just played did. sports. That's it. That was it. Here's what we were supposed to do in this segment. Talk about the most important things that are not Ukraine-related. Wiggins, America. News with the audience. So I'll go first and transition from talking about Spin the Bottle to things that I guess matter because there's a lot that going on that it, it seems like Ukraine is just sort of sucking up all of at least the news stories and there are other things going on and the number one I thought of this morning was my gosh can you believe this is the opposite of most important most unimportant what the heck was everybody freaking out about Joe Rogan for for a whole month what is the deal why was that a story? Why was that the most important thing for pretty much all of January? It's all because he had Dr. Malone on. But I mean, people were losing their minds and calling this guy Satan incarnate. To your point, how important was it? That's my point. If all of a sudden it's gone. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter at all. Neil Young and all these people are pulling their music off Spotify. Talk about things that don't matter. That did to current not matter. society. Yes. I'm sorry, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of us. We can go to YouTube if we want to see something or listen to something. Exactly. And so on the heels of that, the most important thing is COVID is pretty much over, right? I mean, does anybody think that we're still in the COVID era? Is anybody in your life still thinking about COVID the same way? No. My most important thing is Rand Paul introducing the amendment to eliminate Fauci's position. Oh, I didn't see that. I thought you were talking about the mask mandate on planes. No, but that's also important. But it's all under the umbrella of COVID losing its steam. Right, right. And what concerns me, though, is that that now, because I think everybody's realizing that it's not a thing anymore, 
now you're seeing little things pop up from China that they're re- they're actually reporting more deaths now than they were during the height of COVID, which, A, duh, they were never reporting anything accurately. But I think that based on the industries that they're targeting with COVID, because they're shutting down certain industries and say, well, we got too many people sick in these these parts of our country and we got to shut down these companies. It's companies that hurt our economy. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise. It's stuff that has to do with chips, manufacturing, electronics, stuff like that, that we're already short on. So that to me indicates it's still not really COVID. It's just more economic warfare, which is all still sort of related to Ukraine. But in my opinion, I don't really know anybody. And I've talked to people in my life who are pretty concerned with it. The fact that the news cycle has moved from COVID to Ukraine, all of those people that I know now care a lot about Ukraine and they don't care about COVID anymore. And it's really sad to watch how much the news plays on their psyche. And you can tell them that, and they probably will agree with you and still just do the same thing. And it's not everybody, but there are people like that in my life. I wonder... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Roy. I'm sorry. Don't you think that that's part of the... That that's on purpose? Don't you think with, with COVID waning, the people who were benefiting from COVID being the story... Are they need another? Yeah, story. Well, it's almost like we have a society that's gotten addicted to. I don't want to say panic, but crises. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they need something because if and this is like really deep, you know, philosophical stuff. But if you have no peace in your heart ever, you have to project that onto something. And it's like there's a whole segment of of United States now and maybe the world who has never feels peace and therefore is always looking for a crisis. And in the past, if we didn't have a world crisis happening, those are the people who would always say, well, um, well, they would create drama. You know, they'd create interpersonal drama. They'd go to their friend and be talking about behind somebody's back. Well, then they're creating crises so that mm-hmm. they can feel like oh, something important is happening. Well, now it's like that friend drama has become worldwide across the, the globe because you have a huge portion of the American population, and I hate to say it, but America leads in everything. We If we're doing something, the rest of the world is following. We saw that this week with Zelensky addressing the U.S. Congress. I mean, that's that stuff that he's saying, here's American history. This is, this is a former comedian in Ukraine that probably knows more about Pearl Harbor in that speech than a lot of current Americans do, Mm -hmm. you know? So people around the world know America. They know American history a lot of times better than we do. And when we do something, the rest of the world does it. And I I deep dive here into, like, psychology and spirituality. But when when you don't have that piece, I think what we're seeing is an example of what you've been talking about. And I, I have agreed with you. Roy, I'm pointing at you. I'm, I'm on the radio, I'm pointing. But you've been saying this is not a manufactured crisis. I'm not going to put that because that's not what you've been saying. Right. But that this is sort of another reason for people to get on, like, bandwagon onto something. Yes. And it's not that it's not real. And actually, a couple people came to me this week, and you're going to be surprised because... Nobody listens to you in your personal life, so you Correct. are sh- <laughs> so you're shocked when I tell you, you know, people are actually listening to you on the radio. But a couple of listeners came to me this week uh, via 
text or, uh, I mean, via the Internet and just personally people I knew. They said, hey, I was listening to the show on Saturday. When you guys went around, and I think I had said, raise your hand if you think or if you support Ukraine or something like that. And you didn't. And I said, well, then raise your hand if you support Russia. And I think you raised your hand. And I think I was kidding, and you were kidding. But a a number of people, the way it came across was that you were pro-Russia. So I I figured I asked you that question, let you clear the air, and and are you pro-Russia or not? Well, I think think to clarify that, I thought about that after the fact, is that I'm... I don't want anybody to be in danger or injured or attacked or oppressed. So when people talk, what the problem is people talk about, are you for Ukraine? What they really mean is, do you support the Ukrainian people? Mm-hmm. And yes, obviously. Are you against Russia? Well, they now they're talking about Putin. Yes. So, but I support the Russian people as much as I support the Ukrainian people, and that I don't want anybody to be in a war. I think that's a fair position. So when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about I'm not for Ukraine. I'm not for the Ukrainian government because I don't trust them and I don't believe them. I'm not for the Russian government because they're the Russian government and they've got a track record. So, so when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about the leaders. <laughs> I'm talking about the political side of it, and 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 I think a lot of people that are getting very emotional and 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 uh, into this whole discussion are are they're lumping that together. I yeah. don't think Zelensky and and the Ukrainian government and the different factions of fighters and the Nazis or whatever they are over there. That's very separate from the the Ukrainian people who are getting hurt. Yeah. No, I, I don't think that's unreasonable. So I'm not I'm not pro uh, Putin or Putin's government. I just think the story is not what we're being told. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And I'm not willing to say black and white, this guy is 100% evil and these people are 100% innocent. That's kind of where I stand on it. Well, if you have problems with Old Roy, you can email us at WigginsAmerica.com or <laughs> at Radio Wiggins, and I will convey those messages to Roy. And I'll convey them even more hyperbolic than you convey them. Excellent. Because if, if, if you want to contact me and say, you know what, I'm not sure I agree with Old Roy, I will tell Roy, man, people hate you. <laughs> I, I guarantee that I will do that. Trisha, before we run out of time, you have a most important thing outside of Ukraine this week. Yeah, it's the uh, Brian Paul introducing oh. an amendment to eliminate oh. Fauci's position. What is Fauci's position? Head of the NIH? NIAID. Okay. So uh, on Monday, he introduced an amendment that would eliminate uh, Fauci's position as the director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and decentralize it so no one person can act as director in chief in the name of public health. Essentially, his amendment would break the position into three separate positions as a checks and balance. I'll tell you why I support that overall. It's not just that position that I'd like to see eliminated. I would like to see Rand Paul. I wouldn't mind seeing Rand Paul be the president and go in and basically gut every agency that we have because they have way, way too much power and he knows that. He knows that probably more than anybody does. And he gets really frustrated and talks about it a lot. So I like to see that stuff. Thoughts? Uh, well, that position was kind of created for Fauci. 
I mean, it didn't. You've read the book on Fauci. I literally, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he he basically created his own monopoly and everybody went along with it because he, and this goes back to the 80s and the AIDS stuff. So he, um, I, I'm completely in favor of eliminating it, not just because I dislike and distrust Fauci, but because it, it was a manufactured position just to create more power and more control in one place. Uh, we are out of time, and guess what? I have removed our script this week. I'm giving it to a, a different guest. I'm taking it away from you this week. So Are we in being, trouble? Am, yeah, a little yeah, bit. I'm being canceled, I think, for my... You can't my cancel reason. Roy. No, I'm, I'm going to cancel Roy at least for one week, because okay. what he does is okay. he off-air, <laughs> he does... He does okay. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he does voices really well. And then we come into the studio, and I'm like, hey, do that one voice. And he's like... Okay, this one. Hey, what are you guys doing? I can't do it and read at you, the same you time. Can't Don Patangas. Yeah, yeah, Don. So <laughs> shut up, Don. <laughs> shut up, Don. <laughs> so we're gonna actually punt, and our voice actress that does all the voice stuff for Wiggins America, who you hear kind of at the beginning of segments and sometimes in the middle of them, if I throw up a sounder, she is gonna be in studio. She's here cutting some more stuff for us. I'm just gonna have her do a skit while she's here. Because she actually does voices, Roy. So okay. that'll be at the beginning <laughs> of Don't next worry about hour. Me. I think you're talented and special, and you should do voices, too. Well, thank you, Trisha. Oh, uh, yeah, you're the only one. Wiggins America, <laughs> more coming up next. Oh, look out. I got Roy going. Old Roy and I are, are sitting here debating, and uh, now we got to talk on the radio, and we're probably not going to even talk about that. We're, uh, <sighs> we're, man, we're, I don't know, just the look he just gave me. He gave me that look that says, you know, Ryan, I am completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I don't think I did that. That's what, I, that's what I was oh, getting okay. from you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, Old Roy has stuck around. He is my uh, third favorite cast member, so appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't noticed, we have about, oh, three cast members. <laughs> who At least I made the list. Out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I hope that you take that away from this. Like I said, uh, Jess is, I guess, technically a cast member. She Her voice is on the show all the time. She's the one that says, Wiggins, America, and stuff like that. She's coming in at the beginning of next hour. That'll be the first time we've ever actually sat and talked with her, though. Her voice is all over the show. Mm-hmm. But we'll sit and talk with her a little bit, find out what her political leanings are. I think I kind of have an idea, but uh, we'll find out that in the beginning of the next segment, and we'll do a scripted piece with her, and she's actually a pretty good voice actress, so that'll be fun. Um, Roy, you are reading Art of the Deal. Yes. I've never read the book, and I had no idea how old that book was. I thought that was one that he put out right before his campaign started, like all of them do. No, he re-released it with 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 an updated foreword. Okay. But... It was written when he was, I think, in his early 40s. What, uh, you're a businessman, and mm-hmm. so the fact that you're reading this book right now, is is it is it mostly about business? Pretty much, yeah. It's, it's, it's odd, I mean, it's, it's 100% Trump, it, which is one of the interesting things about it, is that 40 years ago, or however 30-something years ago when he wrote this book, he talked and acted exactly like he did 
the four years he was president of the United States. That doesn't surprise me at all. There w- there's, there was, you know, everybody writes a book before running for president. Yeah. And it's all about, look at how great my, I am in my past, and um, I'm American, yay. I used to sit down with my dad at the dinner table, right. and he'd tell me this story. No, Trump is no BS. He comes right out and says it exactly like he like he talked as president. And it's 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 refreshing in a way because that's what you know a lot of us believed all along is that Trump is not, you know, an evil agent of Russia. He's Trump. And you, everybody knew that going in. And it the fact that he was exactly the same person yeah. in office as he was when he wrote this book when he was 40. It, he talked the same same attitudes about things. I, you know, I leave my options open. You know, like in some of the same phrases mm-hmm. that he he talked about then. It it just it, it's interesting to me if people, and and you can still read this book and think I don't like the guy. You know, he's he has a personality that rubs people yeah, the wrong way. Yeah, he's abrasive for sure. And but I don't think you could walk away from reading this book and then having experienced him as president. And say, oh, he's evil. He, or he's you know? disingenuous, at or, least. No, yeah. Because he's the same. Exactly. I, I Just from seeing interviews, I mean, for five years at least, from the time he declared he was running through the end of his presidency, or his, his first term anyway, we'll see, right. yeah. um, we were just inundated with anything that had ever related to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I haven't read Art of the Deal, I guess I'm surprised that I didn't know more about it and the fact that it was written 40 years ago when he was 40, but just seeing interviews with him with Oprah and some of the talk shows he was on, some of them were goofy and he was playing the character of the mega millionaire. But ones where he'd actually talk about things, which, you know, if he sat down with Letterman or somebody, Mm -hmm. you're getting about three or four lines that are actual content, a, a policy or worldview from him the rest of it was just goofy you know how big is your golden bathtub stuff you know that kind of stuff but when he would say the important stuff it really was surprisingly the exact same as it was during his presidency and it was stuff that he acted on it was like the guy knew business this is the way america needs to do business and it has never changed. <laughs> well, and even even the golden bathtub stuff, he he covers it in this book. Why he talks that way? It's all there's. It's all a means to an end. It's all about image. It's all about winning the deal. It's all about getting the upper hand in a negotiation. And you know, he talks about some of the stuff his dad did that was questionable. Oh, you yeah? know, ethically. Um, just very open about it, and he's like, you know, but but you got to present yourself, and you're if you're in a negotiation, you got to come from a position of strength, and and so it's it's all, I I just found out I didn't even know this. My wife, in business school back in the, you know, mid '80s in college, read that book for one of her classes. No kidding. And from the standpoint of you know, this is how business gets done. Yeah. At the art of the deal, right? And so, <laughs> even even the crazy stuff that he does, and the 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 more um, you know, I guess uh, fantastical statements that he makes, and yeah. stuff, it's all on purpose. 
Well, it worked. And it worked. I mean, we're looking back over four years, <clears throat> foreign policy alone. Let's not even talk economics. Clearly, he had that part figured out. But foreign policy alone, in one year, we have gone from disaster to disaster. We had Middle East peace, Roy. Yeah. Under Donald Trump, nobody ever would have predicted that. But it's because he did that. And you can call him a loose cannon, but I think he knows he's being portrayed as a loose cannon and uses it exactly to say things to people like Putin because it came out I, either this week or the end of last week. Did you see this? That apparently while he was president, he told Putin, if you hit Ukraine, we'll hit Moscow. Well, that's something you wouldn't believe that Barack Ob- if Barack Obama said the same thing, you wouldn't believe him. You believe Trump because he's got this element of crazy. Well, it, it's... I don't know that he thinks of it as crazy. He thinks of it, I'm leaving all my options open, so you don't don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it's it's funny, even his, his, you know, dealings with North Korea, which, you know, how many, and no president before him had ever sat down with Kim Jong-un. You can take, take that and then take a section from the book where he's negotiating a deal in Queens for some Mm -hmm. old building or a piece of land yeah, same principles and it's the exact same process yeah and it's it's not like okay i, I want to buy your building i might be crazy no it's just i'm going to leave every option open i don't need that building i want it but mm-hmm. you're going to give it to me for the price i want or i'm going to walk yeah and but i may come back you know so it's it's that same of course ex- almost word for word the way he handled North Korea. Yeah, we may blow you up, but I don't know. If you want to work, we'll go have a beer. Isn't it funny how much leading into 2016, <clears throat> you heard this your whole life, whole at least my entire life, I'd hear from people both sides of the aisle, you know what we need in there is is somebody who's not a politician, somebody Some who's business a businessman. Right. Then you get your businessman who's really freaking good at it, by the way. He wasn't just a, a Koch brother or something, you know, who's conservative, who also made a lot of money being in business. He was a, I would say, a genius businessman in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, based on the things just that you're talking about, because he would kind of leave his options open, and you never really knew, and he would handle the whole world that way. Yeah. To see it happen, it really was stunning. And if you take away the media narratives about it, it really is amazing what we got to see. So that in mind, we had this conversation this week, <clears throat> and we'll end this hour on this question, which I'll pose to you. In a primary right now, going in, let's say DeSantis and Trump were the two. Mm-hmm. They're running against each other. I don't think that's going to happen. But if it did, who do you vote for in the primary? If it were today, it would be Trump. Okay. I would say a handful of months ago, I'd have said DeSantis, just because I think he's he's trump light. I think he's really similar to Trump in a lot of ways, but he's still part of the system. He comes from politics. Well, he's not as rich as Trump. Well, yeah, and he's he's not going to want to burn it all down because he's part of it. I yeah. think we've gotten so bad with our foreign policy, with economics, with everything else. We need Trump more now than we even we did in 2016. I think we need somebody who's got nothing to lose, who's got no ties, nobody's got any dirt on him. He can come in and say, all right, let's clean this up. I'll say this before we hit the top of the hour here and stick around because we got another hour of Wiggins America next. But I'll say that you're right that Trump can't be bought. 
Mm-hmm. And and there's something to said be said for somebody who has absolutely no financial ties to anybody but themselves. Now, DeSantis, for I for all the right reasons, is saying the right things. I think he'd be a terrific president. Mm-hmm. If he's the guy, then great. I'm all for that. Because it's going to be one of those two guys. Like yeah. we all know that. But and, and that's great. That's actually great news. It's going to be one of those two guys because either one of them I think would be a terrific president in 2024 through 2028. But Trump is beholden to no one. And as much as DeSantis seems like he isn't, and I would believe that he probably wouldn't be, he's just not as rich. And yeah. I, I, it's a weird argument to make because it's not like you're like, oh, you know what? I want in there is a rich guy. That's not really the point. The yeah. point is that there is nothing that can buy that guy. The orange hair man, mm-hmm. the, 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 the orange man bad guy. He, he can't be bought. And well, here, I'm going to, I'm going to, potentially turn the people who I didn't already lose over the, the Russia lose, thing. Just, everybody hates you, so don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, so here goes. I think a good ticket in in any other situation would be DeSantis and Tulsi Gabbard. I know you like Gabbard more than I do. I'm probably, she, she, she hates the system a lot, which I love, but her some of her politics are like Bernie Sanders-esque. She's moved on some of them, but you're right. I'm probably I'm probably closer to fifty fifty on her than twenty five, you know. Yeah. But I still think she she would get stuff done because she isn't a uh hardline, you know, president's views on things rarely have anything to do with what gets done because Congress is writing the laws. So they can veto or not, but it doesn't matter to me if somebody checks off every box. You know, if they get the important important ones and they're a reasonable person and they can get people together to solve problems, that I'm in. I'll give you this. As vice president, I actually think she would be pretty good because mm-hmm. she would just be there to uh, figurehead for a lot of things that in that capacity, she actually does a really good job at. So we're out of time. Stick around, though. Another hour of Wiggins America coming up next. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.